Uh, we've got here, let me see, this is Braden texting through to say, I have struggled with addiction to computer games for a while and find the only way to overcome this is through prayer and removing the temptation. Well That's done. That's right. I had the same with Facebook, scrolling through, uh, just trying to be up to date on the news. Again, I got over that through God and removing the distraction. Facebook certainly doesn't have our best interest in mind. Sure, they are good aspects of Facebook, but are buried, but are buried deep within the destructive aspects of anti-social media. Go, Braden. Well done. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I had to uh, delete Facebook off my phone. Recently? Uh, a while ago now. Uh-huh. Um, it was a good thing. And, and the moment it was disappeared off my phone, I sort of looked for it maybe twice and then it was just like, oh, mm. it's gone. So yeah, fair enough. I um, just read something on Wikipedia instead and educate my mind. Okay. Uh, let me see. Brett says, okay, so I'm... Clapping means engaged. Amen means understood. You could be a lunatic and be engaging. Lol. This is the thing I find really interesting about clapping is like, so with pyramid schemes and all that stuff, like a lot of them, you know, kind of have a conference-based model where they get a lot of people together in conference and they've got that one personality who comes on, who convinces them that this is a fantastic thing and then sends them all out to, you know, be a part of the pyramid scheme. And the whole system there is about affirming the personality of that one person and convincing you that this one person's got the answers and therefore you should follow their method because it'll change your life. And I feel like, yeah, we just need to be weary as, as a church. Weary. As we, weary as a church. That's right. Because um, well, when we, like, we do platform people. We put people up on a stage and they preach and it's like, Hey, are we going to feed into this like pyramid scheme affirmation culture or are we going to go about this in the, in the right way? You know? Okay. You know, clapping can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. That's what I'm going to say. But anyway, uh, have have you ever preached a sermon and people have clapped at the end of it, Lawson? Yeah. Yeah. Many times. We've all done, we've all done that. Yeah. I've also preached a sermon and people are just like, "Mm." (laughs) Brett says this. People also could be clapping because you're finally finished. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he asked me, hey, what did you think of the sermon? They're like, oh, my favorite part was the end, when it ended. (laughs) Uh, Well done, Brett. Freco says, praise God, encourage one another. Mm. And, you know, I I think from being a speaker's perspective and being in a situation where uh, it's – People regularly clap when I finish preaching a sermon. Uh, this is not an irregular thing at all. Really what it comes down to is that you have to choose the mindset that you are going to take in relationship to that. Are you going to take that as affirmation of yourself or are you going to take that as affirmation of the message? Mm. You have to make that decision because this is not something you are going to be in control of. Mm. All right. Uh, let me see. What else have we got over here? Let me go. This one goes back a ways. Bitcoin. Okay, here we go. Bitcoin, paper money are all going to crash. The pandemic has basically bankrupted most, if not all, countries. That is why sooner or later uh, the reset will happen. Like stock market crashes one day, we wake up and they are upon us. Well, uh, the Bible does say that all money is going to crash, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether it's Bitcoin, paper or otherwise, the whole lot. I hope it crashes so I can buy a $1 house in Australia. Yes. I don't have to go to Italy. <laughs> the Bible says it's going to crash just before Jesus comes back. Oh, and okay. So you're not property property is going to be pretty irrelevant. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let's have property in heaven. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of different ways this could happen. It could happen with a reset. Mm. It could happen with 
the pandemic. There's a lot of different ways it could happen. What we do know is that it will happen. It already, it will happen. It already did happen. Yeah, but it's going to happen on what, an epic Y2K, scale. but in our hearts. <laughs> awesome. Be quiet. <laughs> so, the ultimate verge uh, of conspiracy theory. And- as you know, okay, as you know, Bitcoin was invented to cut out the middleman and tax evasion. This can't be allowed in the new world order. Mm, so Bit- what Bitcoin's got to go for the new world order to happen. I, yeah, well, this I, is the thing. I, if I countries know. adapt it and embrace it, then they can just find a way to tax Bitcoin, like, yeah, surely. Exactly. Yeah. Of course they will. Um, continuing on here, another text message. One of the good things that the pandemic achieved is that while Satan tries to destroy humanity, God in his mercy uses it to help people to come to him as they realize the reality that only God can help them. Amen. More people for his kingdom. I think that's in the story, that's in relationship to the story about prayer. Mm. And 43% of people in Britain saying that prayer is important for their mental health. Mm. That's incredible. Uh, when you look at the numbers in England that actually go to church, they're fairly low. But 43% of the population believe in prayer. Mm. Um, and Braden says, I deleted Facebook for ages and put it back on for uni to sell things. Also, unfollowed everyone and I no longer get distracted with it. Yeah, Marketplace can be distracting. Oh, dude, Marketplace is a trap. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrible um, trap. Hey, but I, like, I, like, I really like the point that he made. Like you can kind of I, – I know for myself – you know, having Facebook, particularly with Instagram, like because it's it's all about you know who you follow and that's what you see. Where Facebook is kind of this meld of then targeted advertising and all kinds of things. But with like with Instagram in particular, you have the ability to kind of mold it to see whatever you want to see. And I just remember, yeah, from being a non-Christian to becoming a Christian, there was this big shift that I had to go through. And like, okay, well, I'm going to unfollow all these people. And follow all these people, and I feel like it's yeah. I'm not defending Instagram here. Change the algorithm, but definitely it's it's created a, a way more positive Instagram experience in terms of my my spiritual life than it used to be. So yeah, yep. good stuff. Sky says, "I will say Amen out loud in the sermon." Sky, I want you in my I want you in my uh, <laughs> in my audience. If you say anything, you can come to my church. Australians are the worst at responding to anything, and. Uh, Honestly, it's very challenging for a preacher to preach a sermon and have no idea whether people are understanding mm. him or not. Mm-hmm. And when nobody says anything, you kind of assume that nobody has any idea that about what you are saying. Mm. And that makes it very challenging to preach a clear message, whereas when you get encouragement and you un- and you realize that people are understanding that they are getting it, that they are realizing the truth of what you are presenting, then you will preach much better sermons. Mm, I, I preach true. I preach much better sermons in the United States than I do in Australia simply because everyone in America likes to interact. But that's the thing, is that that's where you just force the interaction out of them. Yeah, and that but that just gets super uncomfortable. Oh sometimes. I just know so I've you know, I've preached just recently I've been in, in the kind of youth ministry preaching circle a little bit, you know, preaching to high school students. And, dude, if you want to go into a deadpan room, you know, during a sermon, like, go to a high school, dude. Go to a summer camp. But, yeah, you just – you you ask them some questions. You tell them yes. funny stories. Yes. Get them engaged. Yes. And it can be a really positive thing. Absolutely. Uh, Freco says, the faceless people on Facebook are getting more evil. Mm. Okay, so those are our text messages. Let's go to our Bible study. We're in the book of Jonah. Where are we up to? Chapter 4 here somewhere. How much have we got to left? Oh, okay, we should be able to finish well, this today. Well, at the end. We are nearly at the end. The Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry that his evangelism had been so successful. 
<laughs> oh, what a bummer. <laughs> and that because his evangelism had been so successful, these people were not going to be destroyed in 40 days, mm. but that God was going to preserve them. And they all repented. They all repented. Yeah. Wow. You got it's just like <laughs> there's a classic thing like I wonder what German sermon notes were and <laughs> like <laughs> Anyway, uh the Bible says mm. in verse 2 he prayed oh, you read for us verse 2. In verse 2 the Bible says so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home uh you would do this Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and a compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, you are eager to turn back from destroying these people. And verse 3. And verse 3 continues on, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if I predicted this will not happen. (laughs) (laughs) This guy, he's, he's a bit nuts. He's like, yeah, he's just like, oh, this is really bad. I want to die. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. He's so successful, he wants to die. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but that, that's the point. He's like, God, you're so compassionate that I'd just rather not live. Okay, so now let's think <laughs> about the message that, 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 that he has given. You know, mm-hmm. God has come to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach to the Ninevites and I want you to tell them that, um, that in 40 days the, the city is going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. That's what I want you to, to uh, I want you to share with them. And the reason that he doesn't want to go there is because he stops and he thinks about it. He's like, okay, if I go and preach to the Ninevites and I'm a, I'm a good prophet, I'm a good evangelist, um, I know I can have success there. What happens if they repent? Well, if they repent, they're not going to be destroyed. And if they're not destroyed, I'm going to be pretty upset about that because I really want to see the Ninevites and the Assyrians destroyed. Mm. So his uh, motivation is a little bit off here. <laughs> it's just a tad off. He's a bit backwards, this guy. Right. Mm. Okay, so then uh, let's continue on. Why don't we read here? Verse 4. Verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter and uh, to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Okay, so this is interesting. Um, Jonah's kind of set himself up in a place where he can watch the fireworks. But, but they all repented. But they all repented. <laughs> but he's still like, well, you know... Maybe. Like, God could Maybe destroy them. Maybe their repentance will wear off. God yeah. might destroy them. <laughs> and so he sets himself up in a position where he can, yeah, he's, he, he creates himself a little bit of shade. It's a hot part of the world. Mm. Definitely a hot part of the world. You're going to need some shade if you're going to be in this part of the world. They're in Iraq, mm. modern-day Iraq. And uh, so he sets himself up there, and uh, he's waiting to see what happens. And uh, verse 6 for us, please. Verse 6, And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. Um, Soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, um, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Mm -hmm. And in verse 7. In verse 7, it continues on, But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And the mm. sun grew hot and got arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and, faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. <laughs> this is like so random. Like, oh, I love this whole story. The story of Jonah is such a classic story and there are so many lessons to learn 
right here. So you've got the most successful evangelist the world has ever known. He's led more Gentiles to God than probably anybody other than the, the, the Apostle Paul. Mm. Then he's got upset with God because God doesn't destroy them. Mm. He's like, I've made a goose of myself because I've gone in there and made a prophecy that is now not going to be fulfilled. And so now I look like an idiot. Who's he thinking about here? Himself. Himself. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we're going to talk more about this as we go further on in the study, but God calls all of us to witness for him. Mm. And we have to ask ourselves, why don't we witness more? Mm. And the simple answer to that is because we think of ourselves. Yeah, well. If you stop and think about all of the opportunities you have to witness and you do not witness, and then you ask yourself the question, why didn't I say something about Jesus right there? Mm. I could have done. Why did I stay quiet? The answer is simple. Yourself. Mm. It's all about self. It's all about yourself. You're a little bit afraid that they might think that you're weird or that you might think they might think, you know, this or that, and you want them to think well of you. And so you just sort of sit there and shut your mouth and don't say a thing. Mm. When that at the end of the day doesn't really benefit anyone. Nope. If people think it's good of you, like, what's, what good can come? Exactly. Yeah. And what have you got to lose by saying something about Jesus? Mm. You've got everything to gain because you might gain that person as a next door neighbor in heaven. Yeah, wow. Jonah wasn't so keen on having the Assyrians as his next-door neighbor. Yeah, he was super keen that they never end up anywhere near heaven. He's mm. like, just, just, just nuke the place, God. Just turn it into a big glass crater. I'll sit up out here on the mountain and watch you do a Sodom and Gomorrah on them. Yeah, this this will be fun. Yeah, I love that point. Surely their repentance will wear off. Yeah, God will get them one day. <laughs> I sit here and wait and see what happens. Mm. But then. God has a little bit of a lesson here for Jonah. Mm. How does this lesson work out? Well, it works out that like he's sitting under a plant. Yeah, that'd be really nice. Uh, and, and this is one of the things that you do find about the Middle East. It's it's quite dry heat. Mm. And because it's quite dry heat, shade makes all the difference. Mm. Uh, when I've been traveling through the Middle East, you know, you, you, you jump out of the tour bus or whatever it might be, and you walk into that scorching, blazing heat, and for some reason they have to crank the aircon on the tour bus to the absolute max so that it's like 15 degrees inside the tour bus and you're sitting there with a jumper and a coat on trying to stay warm mm. and you step outside the tour bus and it's like 52 degrees. <laughs> and it's like, why can't you just warm the tour bus up to like, say, 30 degrees yeah. so we don't just die every time we walk out <laughs> with a massive amount of, you know, it can't be good for the human body to walk from one massive temperature difference like that to another. Mm. And so, yeah, you do. You step out into uh, that blazing heat. But when you walk into the shade, and everybody, of course, is um, working in the shade or sitting in the shade, uh, you find that it's actually not that bad. Yeah, that's right. You can handle 52 degrees when it's dry Mm. if you're in the shade. The shade makes a huge difference. And so here, Jonah, he's in that environment, and God creates this plant. It grows up, and it gives him just amazing shade. Mm. The Bible says it's a gourd. Now, that's a kind of pumpkin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gourds are things like pumpkins, zucchinis, cucumbers, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you never know. Maybe you know, if you look at a pumpkin, it has really big leaves. Yeah, that's right. It has yeah. massive leaves. And so you can see, and, and, and a pumpkin is, is is a vine, so it will grow up over stuff. Mm. Um. 
as do you know most of your gourds. They'll 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 grow in a vine like situation and grow up over stuff. I had I grew some pumpkins once and they grew up over the top of my corn. Oh, and you know you could be walking down the rows of corn and there'd be a pumpkin hanging above your head. <laughs> it's kind of cool. <laughs> it was interesting that the pumpkins were a little bit different shape. They didn't have that hollowed out base, and they when you went to cut them up, they weren't dirty on the bottom. Oh, okay. Oh, because they're just hanging in the middle of the oh, hanging up in the corn. The hanging pumpkin. My corn do. was really tall. Yeah. Okay. My corn grew ten feet four inches tall. Dude, you were living the life. Oh, wow. You have no idea. That was just, I had I had I'm, wheelbarrow full of corn. And corn, I'm, a, I'm a corn connoisseur. It's like my favorite thing. <laughs> okay. When, when, I, when I eat corn, here's, here's the process. I'm getting distracted. <laughs> <clears throat> so what you've got to understand about corn is that corn is full of sugar, but the sugar starts to turn to starch after you pick the corn, mm-hmm. right? Within 20 minutes, all turn to starch. So if you've never had homegrown corn, you've never actually tasted how sweet it can be. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you boil the water. Once the water is, water is boiling, then you go pick the corn and straight in. So uh-huh. you've got to have less than three minutes between when it comes off the corn stalk and goes into the boiling water. Oh. <laughs> Just a, a man of taste and agriculture, Lyle. Just amazing. Okay, let me see here. Sky says, I've come from a Pentecostal church to an Anglican church where there is no hands raising or Holy Spirit welcoming. Then to an SDA church, it's hard to adapt to no worship or interaction. Uh, P.S. You could have a room of introverts. Well, it kind of depends which Adventist church you go to. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's kind of like every different flavor out there that you can imagine. Dude, oh, man, there's like class. I love watching the videos from the United States where it's like, you know, it's C.D. Brooks pe- preaching in some church in like Oakland, California, where it's like an yes. African-American audience and they're just like going off like some stuff like that, dude. It's like these Adventists, <laughs> they're like going wild. Like, oh, it's so good. Obviously, you know, affirming the message. They're shouting their amen, standing up and clapping, you know. Appreciating yeah. the message is good you stuff. Should, you should try preaching in one of those churches one time. It's a wild experience. It's good fun. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we have to, we all have to respond in a way that is appropriate to our culture because mm. if we if we try and force a response that is not our culture, then we're just going to make everybody and ourselves and the whole environment awkward. That's right. So just do what your culture is and what you're comfortable with because you don't want to do something that is forced or awkward. Mm. Even in a melting pot of cultures, like if someone comes from like particularly Africa and they're really responsive to the sermon, you know, they say things like, Lord have mercy. It's either, it's usually African rather... African-American. Afri- oh, African-American. It's It depends where you go. If you go at someone like from Uganda or somewhere like that where they're quite responsive and it's really compelling even if they're in the Australian audience because you know it's a genuine response. Whereas if I said that, then I would just get... Look like a poser. I would just get stared at, bro. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Yeah, there you go. All right. (laughs) Okay, so we're covering the story of Jonah here this morning, and it is a fascinating story. You've got Jonah when the people repent, he's like, I'd rather die. Just kill me. I'd rather be dead. (laughs) Just, just, Just die right now. Classic. I'm so angry. And so then he goes out and he sits on the hillside to just, you know, kind of hoping that God would um, change his mind again and 
and, and nuke the place. Uh, and as he's sitting out there, you know, this plant grows up, this gourd, the Bible says, mm-hmm. uh, vine grows up and gives him lots of nice shade and he's super happy about that and then a worm eats it overnight and it dies and a strong east wind comes and the sun beats on his head and he's getting hot and bothered and miserable. It's like heat and, stroke. And he says, and he says, I'd rather be, de-. he goes back to being, I'd rather be dead. He's got a real like, I'd rather be dead kind of attitude. You know, this is a guy who said, throw me overboard. mm and so he's like, yeah, I'd just rather be dead. Just, just, just kill me right now. Mm. And verse 9, verse 9 is interesting. Mm. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of wonder what kind of parents this guy has. You know, he's got some serious issues here, doesn't he? <laughs> he's pretty you know, extreme. He's pretty extreme. He's pretty anxious, pretty uh-huh. like edgy. It's full on. Yeah. Okay, so let's learn some stories here. Uh, Learn some lessons from this story, I should say. Uh, Verse 10 and 11. Yeah, just, just, just read to the end of the chapter. The Bible then goes on and says, Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Okay, so so this is interesting. Why is it that Jonah feels sorry for the gourd, the vine? Well, because it was providing him shade. Because it was providing him shade. And he loved the fact that it provided him shade. Mm. And God God draws this parallel between the vine, the gourd, mm. and Nineveh, mm. and says, "Well, shouldn't I love the Ninevites?" Mm. What's the parallel right here? Well, I think that they they were both made by God. Yes, they're both made by God, and well, but Jonah is upset that the. Gourd died, but he's not upset that the Ninevites. He would be very yeah. happy if the Ninevites died, and that's ultimately because like. The the gourd is beneficial to him. Yes. And he believes the Ninevites are not. Yes. And clearly, God believes that the Ninevites are beneficial to him. Mm. Why would God believe that the Ninevites were beneficial to him? Uh, well, I guess if it says here that they're in spiritual darkness, if they have the ability to repent, to turn from their ways, then like, any like anything can be benefit, particularly to, to well, Jonah as a prophet. They're, they're, and... they're, they're, they're his children, right? Yeah, the Ninevites are his children. Yeah, of course. So, he says it here. Even the animals, like, should I care about the the Ninevites and the animals and all these people? Like, ultimately, God cares. Like, of course, God. This just harkens back in the really ultimate sense. Like, God wishes that none would perish, but would, that right. all would come to repentance. What benefit does God gain from us? Like, simply, like, in, in, in a functional sense, literally nothing. We cost him his life. But in in a relational sense, like, the fact that we can respond to him and love him. Because this is the thing. It all comes down to benefit. The mm. gourd was a benefit to Jonah. The Ninevites are a benefit to God. Mm. But what benefit is there? And as you say, there is no benefit except that he loves them. Mm. Think about Think about children. I have children. I have a grandchild. You will probably have children at some point. Why? What benefit are children going to bring to you? I don't know, man. They're just going to cost you a lot of money. They're going to be a lot of hard work. Uh, They're going to break your heart at times. They're going to make decisions that disappoint you. They're going to 
Um, you know, when they're babies, they're going to yell and scream all night, keep you up. They can also get rich they, investing when, in crypto when they, when and pay my retirement. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, they're going to, when you are, uh, when they're teenagers, they're going to keep you up at night because you like, you don't know what they're getting up to. You know, you go on and on and on through the list. Why would you have children? What benefit do you get from having children? Man, you're making me think that I don't know why anyone has children. <laughs> and when you look at it from that perspective, mm. you would ask the question, why do human beings have children? Why mm. would they do that? This makes no sense whatsoever mm. at all because they're not gaining any benefit from having children. These children are simply using up your resources. Mm. You know, to raise a couple of kids, you know, it costs several million dollars to raise a couple of kids. Yeah, that's right. Several million dollars. That's a lot of money. Mm. Why would you spend so much money on raising a couple of kids? And the answer is the benefit that you gain is the relationship. Mm. So what is the benefit that God gains from the Ninevites? It's the relationship. That's right. He loves them. Mm. Why does he want them to be saved? Because they are his children. Now compare that to a vine. You know, Jonah's like, yeah, kill me because the vine died. Vine is just a worthless vine that was there one day and gone the next. Who cares about the vine? Yeah. Seriously, you know, go and find something else to put over the top of your head mm. if you are burning in the shade. Mm. People are worth infinitely more than that. And this is the illustration that God is making right here. God is saying, okay, you found benefit from the vine. Think of the benefit of this many people being saved. Yeah, well. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Let's go over to the book of Jude. Our Bible study takes us to the book of Jude. And while we're talking about crazy prophets, this is probably the other crazy prophet in the Bible. I love him. He's like the guns blazing guy. He is. He's like, he you're is. all wrong and you need he just help. Starts, he just starts blazing. Away. He, he's, he's, <laughs> this guy has a minigun. It's a minigun in like 50 cal. Yeah, but in like a minigun in 50 cal that has one, two, three. 20, 25 shots. 25 shots. And mate. everyone's dead, and then he just leaves. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> this is Jude. Okay. Jude does not hold back in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we're going to read a few verses here from the book of Jude and my Bible, which is falling apart. Here we go. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Let's start in verse 20. In verse 20 in the book of Jude, the Bible says, But you, dear friends, must build each other, uh, 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 each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to uh, to still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Okay, let's stop there. This is a great passage right mm. here. Let's work our way. Uh, very quickly through it, the Bible says, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It is a call here for us to share the message of Jesus with others, to have compassion upon them, even to snatch mm. them out of the fire. That's exactly what Jonah was doing, or what he was supposed to be doing, I should say. He was supposed to be having compassion on the Ninevites. He was supposed to snatch them out of the fire. He was supposed to preach to them so that they didn't end up like Sodom and Gomorrah. His attitude was kind of in the wrong place, but God brings him around in the end, and thus we have the record of Jonah's story. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back to Faith FM. Hey, look, we are getting on in the show right now. We're in the 
well, the... Question of the day. Section. And the question of the day, section. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we've actually got a bunch of text messages here that I didn't get to. I'm going to try and get to them here at some particular point, but... Uh, because there's some really good ones. Anyway, mm-hmm. go for it. Question of the day is, hey, what does the New Testament and the Bible say about music? Okay, so the New Testament actually has a lot to say. Both the New and the Old Testament have to say about a lot to say about music. But mm. this question comes in context of the New Testament. So let's talk about the New Testament in particular. So basically what you had was that God instituted music as a as a, a form of worship. And when the temple was built by Solomon that temple had a professional choir that was attached to it. Mm. And so music was central to the worship of the Jewish people. Uh, they would often have a musician in the synagogue, somebody who could sing in the synagogue rather than having a choir. They just have, you know, your local talent. That would be the one person who would be the person who would be appointed to sing. And so it was more a case of performance rather than congregational singing. That took place at this particular era. When you come down to Christianity in the New Testament church, there's not a whole lot of mention of uh, the use of instruments and so forth, but you do find instruments being played. You've got flutes at Jairus' daughter's wake, uh, etc. The place where you do find a lot of music is in the book of Revelation. Mm. Revelation is full of music. You've got people, you've got the 24 elders playing harps. You've got uh, the trumpets that uh, or the trumpet that sounds when Jesus comes back, and this is a major theme in you know Matthew chapter twenty four, First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, the last trumpet. Uh, you've got First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen to eighteen. You know Jesus descending with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and so you've got music here being used as a celebration in heaven. You've got the voice of much people in heaven singing and playing songs. You've got the 144,000 who have harps and they're harping on their harps. Uh, they're playing the song of Moses, the song of the, the servant of God and of the Lamb. Uh, you've got all of this music that is happening and it is music that is worshipful. It is music that is uh, celebration and it shows that what it shows to us is that God in heaven is in a place where there is a lot of music. Mm. God's throne is surrounded by music. So music is something very, very clearly that God has instituted as a gift to humanity, as a gift to the universe, something that he takes tremendous pleasure in and something that he surrounds himself with. And uh, when we worship here on earth, we are mimicking the worship of those who are worshiping in heaven. Now, of course, what we are doing on earth is, you know, it's not even a patch on what is taking place in heaven. What is taking place in heaven is, you know, that's the ultimate worship right there. That is the worship in which the Bible says in the Old Testament this time that God the Father himself sings. If you look at Lucifer, when Lucifer was in his perfection, the Bible says that he was actually a created being who had musical instruments within him. Now, of course, as human beings, we have musical instruments within us as well uh, because we have the voice, and the voice is a musical instrument. But it seems that when Lucifer was created as an angel in heaven, his musical ability went far beyond the voice. We don't really know, we don't really understand, you know, uh, timbrels and tablets and so forth that were created within Lucifer. 
Um, but yeah. that was that was the situation, you know. And so we would imagine that other angels in heaven are similar. So music is very very central to worship, and this is one of the reasons why music dominates our world so much, and why Christianity actually produces so much of the talent that we have in our world. So true. Uh, when you look at you know so many people that have gone become popular in the music world began by singing in church. Because what Christianity does, it creates an environment in which talent can be discovered and nurtured and improved upon and talent can be found and heard about. And you look at you know so much of the talent we have right now, that's where it all begins. It begins in church because people wouldn't really have that much involvement with music without church. Mm. And, of course, you have other faiths that have a big emphasis on music as well, obviously different styles and so forth. You have many different styles of music from right around the world. But music is definitely central to the worship of God, which is fantastic. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.